What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Well, hello. Welcome to another study of the Psalms with Pastor David. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 48 today. Uh, what is a marvelous psalm uh, that is highlighting uh, the beauty of the city of our God. Uh, part of what this psalm is intended to do is it is, it is meant to uh, encourage the people of God to have impressed upon our minds uh, what is the holiness, the protection, and the steadfast love of our God that's made known in this city, uh, that it might sustain us as we trust in the Lord and wait upon him, really not only just ourselves, but that we might pass these things on to another generation. Uh, what God has done, the ways in which he's made himself known, are intended to uh, be received and taken up by the people of God and spoken and declared to others, so that the deeds he has done uh, might be formed into the word that sustains his people. That's much of what we'll see in this psalm. Uh, when when I, uh, I can't recall if it was after or just before I got married, but one of the, one piece of advice uh, that was given to me uh, was, was that early on in your marriage, uh, you should make a point of forming memories with one another, do things together. Um, now, it's not just because, okay, you've got a, a few free years before suddenly kids come along or something along those lines, and, uh, and you're just not going to be able to later. Though sometimes that happens. Um, uh, but part of the point, the, the rationale given for that, that piece of advice is form memories together because, because they may be able to sustain you uh, later on in your marriage. And it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, you make a point of, of forming and establishing a kind of foundation uh, so that when there are times when, when you're either unable uh, to be together or do things together to the same extent that you would have wanted, or, or perhaps when things are rather difficult, or, or sometimes people uh, uh, go through kind of rocky uh, uh, times in their marriage, uh, you're able to look back on and remember something of the nature of what your relationship is, not just theoretically but in very concrete, actual ways that you can recall and call to mind. And, uh, and there's opportunity for it to, uh, to strengthen and to vivify your relationship um, as you remember what, in fact, it is. Because what you have enjoyed uh, is still uh, what, uh, what is true of, of that relationship. So in a similar kind of way, uh, this is something of what we see in Psalm 48, 
as, as we are encouraged to consider what God has done in this great city of refuge that displays his holiness uh, as that which proceeds from his steadfast love, goodness, and kindness to his people. Um, and that is what is impressed upon us that sustains the people of God to further generations as we wait upon the Lord. Let me read Psalm 48, and we'll just walk through it together. This is a song, the Psalm of the Sons of, of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Uh, first thing that stands out, at least in the first few verses after introducing this idea that great is the Lord uh, and he is then to be praised uh, muchly, uh, in great ways, or at least in many ways, uh, moves on very quickly to understanding something of the holiness of this city. Notice the language that's used uh, early on. His holy mountain talks about how the elevation and height of this mountain, the joy of all the earth, even, even Mount Zion that is set apart to the, to the extremities of the north, sometimes an image that's used descriptive of heaven itself, the place where God is, the city of the great king. Um, this is a holy mountain. Now, the thing about a mountain is a mountain, uh, a mountain is something in which you are able to ascend and to go up. And oftentimes the imagery that's used in the scriptures, uh, speaking of the heavenly places, heaven as where the glory of the Lord dwells, uh, is, is that it is up and lifted up and high above the earth. So also a mountain uh, in this context, is intended to speak of that which, which rises up and ascends unto, unto God. Now, this is not something that man has made or man has formed, uh, but something in which uh, God has established the place in which there is an approach to him. And the very place uh, in which God is approached is itself holy, his holy mountain, or the mountain of his holiness. And part of what's marvelous about this, if we think about what it's like to ascend unto the Lord, unto the Lord our God, is that, is that the height itself is almost too much to even take in. You've, you've probably had this experience when you've been near a skyscraper or perhaps, uh, perhaps even more impressively simply 
uh, a, walk, a, a very high mountain itself or even a, a, a very tall tree where if you look up, if you're not ready for it, you don't have a sense of how high it's going to be, you look up and it's almost like your eyes and your, your, your head is lifted further than you had anticipated and almost knocks you back. It's so impressive and marvelous. And there's something captivating and beautiful in considering what is naturally so high um, with, with, a, um, uh, with, with a skyscraper, uh, we sort of think, oh, well, of course, someone just made this, right? But when, but when it comes to a natural uh, 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 a structure like a mountain or a tree, it's, it's, a, it's incredible to consider the beauty of, of how high and lofty and high above the ground uh, something stretches. That's something of what we have here, where there's a beauty, a beautifulness, uh, a beauty to, to the elevation and the height of this mountain. Why? Because what is it? It stretches up to the Lord himself. Uh, it is a holiness uh, that is high in that it sets apart unto God, uh, such that this is, as he says, the joy of all the earth. This is a place. Now, I think when it says earth here, it's not simply talking about, it's not just talking generally about the earth as the peoples of the earth, but earth um, in, in a very sort of geographic uh, kind of sense as, as the place. Uh, this is of all the places of the earth, um, what is almost the, uh, the, the most joyful one for, uh, for the earth to consider, right? It, it's, like, it's like if someone, uh, it's, it's, it, it's almost like the joy that a firstborn only child brings uh, to, to her parents. Uh, you talk to the parents and you bring up their, their little baby girl um, and suddenly there's a smile that's put on their face. Uh, this is their pride and joy. Uh, what, what they are so privileged and glad that you've talked about because they love uh, to think about her um, and, to, uh, and to consider her and even to have others to notice uh, and to consider her. It's almost something like that in terms of the earth itself. Here is of all places and all of the earth with all of the beauty and grandeur of creation and what God has made, what is the pride of joy and delight of all of the earth is this place and this mountain where God himself dwells. Uh, this is the city of our God, the place in which he has made his dwelling place, not merely him descending and caught and coming into what is a mere earthly place, uh, but him uh, condescending to make that which is otherwise lowly ascend unto him. This is his city, his place, his holy mountain the joy of all of the earth. That's something of the holiness of the city. The next thing that the psalmist moves on to consider is the protection uh, that this city is, or really the protection that the Lord himself is uh, in this city. Verse three transitions these two points. It says, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. A fortress um, is something that is able to keep enemies out and to, uh, and to maintain what is peace, security, and protection within its walls. It's something that's not easily assaulted um, and not very trivially approached, especially by those who are hostile. It's also a place that those who are in danger and in need, uh, for those who have access to this place, it's a place of refuge to which you would flee. 
Uh, now, the way that the psalmist unfolds God making himself known as a fortress in this place is in considering what it is when enemies, when the kings of the earth gather themselves against this city. Um, the, the language that he uses is that of, of them assembling together and coming on together. It's, it's like assembling for battle. If you think about multiple armies uh, joining together that otherwise would have their own concerns, their own kingdoms, their own names to establish, uh, but here are, are, are united together in what is a single purpose uh, to pass over against this city. They're joining forces uh, so that they might have a greater, um, uh, greater odds against this city, but they never even reached the city. This is what's so amazing. As soon as they saw it, verse 5, they were astounded. Simply to see this place, suddenly, suddenly the kings realized that they are dealing with something that is far beyond what they had imagined, what is nothing, that nothing they have ever seen even compares to it. Um, and not merely do they, do they turn back to their places saying, you know what, this is a useless and futile enterprise, but they realize that having come close enough to the city to see it, suddenly they realize they are the ones who are in danger. And so they flee, they scatter. It says uh, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took the flight. Here they are running away, and for good reason. The next verse gives a sense of what, what this means, that trembling takes hold of them. Uh, they're not able to, uh, to control this anguish as of a woman in labor. And then it says in verse 7, there's this sense of almost the Lord pursuing them to the bitter end, having come close enough to see now it's like the Lord himself is roused against them. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. These are the ships that are fleeing away, uh, leaving the land, trying to head back to their homeland and fear. Uh, but of course, um, having entered into that, um, onto the path of escape, uh, the Lord pursues even to the bitter end. The east wind, uh, by the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. Uh, this is not a place to be trifled with. So great is the place of refuge that even those who dare to approach the city uh, with that kind, with the, with the motivation of assaulting it, even they, though they never reach the gates, though they realize that it is a, a worthless and a, a foolish thing to attempt, simply to approach in that way means that they turn and flee and are scattered and shattered by the Lord himself. Verse 8 applies that in terms of what this is, in terms of what we have, what we have considered, and the impress it makes upon our mind. The psalmist says, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts. This is the idea that, that the two, two kinds of things come together. On one hand, um, this is not a new kind of reality. Uh, but this is simply the way in which the Lord protects his people in this place. Where the Lord dwells, the Lord is able to make his people dwell securely. Um, we have heard of what he has done, but not only have we heard it, but we've seen it with our eyes. As there have been assaults raised against this place, against the place of God's dwelling, 
and those enemies have been turned back and flee, both hearing of what he has done and seeing with our eyes the way in which the Lord continues to do the same, both past and present protection, giving all that much more security that when it happens, it's not an anomaly, it's not out of the ordinary, it's not merely back then, it's not only now, uh, but it is what the Lord continues to do. Uh, so there is this promise that's held on to that in the city of our God, uh, that this city God will establish forever. Uh, there is something immovable here in the kind of thing that is made known and revealed in God making himself known as a fortress, um, that that way and manner in which he protects, um, he is to protect forever. Uh, he will establish forever. There's the holiness of this city, the protection of this city as God himself is the fortress. The, the last thing that he then considers before making some application as to what we do with this, uh, the last thing we consider is, is really closer to the heart of what this city is. And we get some sense of it as we, uh, when, and when the psalmist makes note of how uh, uh, what, what had been heard, what God has done, and then also what has been seen, uh, that there is a kind of commitment uh, and, uh, and goodness that the Lord has pledged and bound himself to in this place. Uh, right in the heart of the city or the heart of this temple, what you can consider um, as not merely the mountain, sorry, the heart of this mountain, what is not merely the mountain itself, but going right to the peak of this mountain, the height of holiness, where God, in fact, dwells and has descended upon this place, um, is in terms of the geography of the city, the architecture of the city, is the temple itself. And so what does he say? We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. When you come to the heart of God's dwelling with his people in this place, what is considered and, and, and thought of is the steadfast love of God. What is his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness? Uh, what is his disposition towards, uh, towards providing for and showing his goodness towards those who are in fellowship with him? We think even more broadly about how the temple is used, not only in terms of God's presence and his covenant, with his people. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant is present there, but also in terms of everything that God has provided in the sacrificial system, uh, in not only making known and reminding the people of God of their sin, but also making known that God is a God of forgiveness, who atones and cleanses for sin. All of these ways in which God makes known his goodness and his steadfast love uh, to his People. But what's remarkable is that when we consider his steadfast love, what is God about in terms of the heart of his covenant, the goodness that he makes known, the, the, what is the heart of the blessing of covenant and communion with God, uh, we see that God is about something that is actually rather vast and broad. Notice in verse 10, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth, just as your name is proclaimed and made known in all of creation as the God, not only who has done wondrous things that are then told elsewhere, but as the God of creation itself, 
um, as your, uh, uh, your stature, the works of your hands are made known in all of the world as it is made by you, so also you actually bring and create praise to your name. Notice how those go together. It's not only God's name revealed, but also God's name uh, proclaimed and professed. He was a worship of God that extends just as far as his name does. It's something remarkable that even as we are focused on a particular place and a particular, a particular city, even in a particular place within this city, and even, and even you, could, you could take that further in terms of the heart of the temple with God dwelling with his people and the holy of holies and what's represented there with the Ark of the Covenant and the bond that he makes he makes a bond with his people as he is the God of all creation, as he is the king over all peoples. You could see something like that in Psalm 47, uh, if you would read that as well. Uh, the scope of his goodness uh, is displayed in all of the earth, and then so the extent of his praise stretches just as far. This is a God who has pledged himself uh, in loving kindness uh, to his people as one who is, whose hand is filled with righteousness. There was a never-ending supply of goodness that he is able to give, of faithfulness to his promises and his covenant uh, that he does indeed demonstrate and display towards his people. This is something of what the city itself represents, the holiness of God, the protection that he gives, and his steadfast love towards his own. Now, what does the psalmist do with this? And this is something of what seems to be rather distinctive in the psalm, where there's a call to actually go through and to examine the city itself. Uh, it is meant to make an impression upon the people. And this is not simply an abstract kind of idea of think about what the city might have been, but it says those speaking to people who are able to actually live and move and walk around a particular place. Uh, it's supposed to make an impression upon them, uh, and in some ways it's a theme that's been carried through the psalm thus far, as there is praise that is offered to the Lord in this place. Clearly, offering of praise is, uh, is to say that something has made an impression upon you, but notice the detail in how this place is to be examined. Verse 12, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers. Here is almost from the outside going all around this place and notice all of the features, uh, the very things that for the kings to see causes them to flee. You are to notice and take mark of, not to, not to presume upon, um, not to, uh, to just sort of assume that, hey, it's there. It's going to do its job. It's going to turn away all those kings. Who cares? But no, notice what's there. Um, number them. Count them. Be uh, take take some time and 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 act like you're an accountant for for a few moments. Where you're going to mark down what these things are, inscribe them, and write them down uh, so that you can remember, so that you could you could check to see that they are still there. That you have a clear and precise understanding of what indeed God has established for the protection of His people. Number her towers. Verse thirteen. Consider well. Her ramparts literally take them to heart, uh, set them upon your heart, pay attention to these things. Uh, let it sink in what it is that you see, uh, be, be taught by them. It's interesting that same kind of language of taking something 
to heart is in, in a place like Proverbs 24, 32, uh, parallel to the idea of receiving instruction. Uh, the idea is be instructed, learn from these things. They're there. Why? Because they're teaching you something. They ought to teach you and instruct you. Uh, they are teaching you about not merely what this city is, that it's a strong wall that will never be moved, so don't worry about it. No, it's teaching you about what your God is. That's why you need to be instructed. You need to learn because the walls tell you not merely what you're never going to have to worry about, but they teach you about what God pledges to do for his people. They instruct you, consider well for ramparts, go about for citadels why that you may be able to tell the next generation the word used here to tell is is actually it's a different form but of the same word that earlier is uh is said as numbering um her numbering her towel towers um you're supposed to uh, uh basically take a careful account of these things and as you have taken careful account so also you give that careful account uh, to others and proclaiming and telling to the next generation what? Not simply the city, but that this is our God. Now, this is a crucial point. This psalm is not just about the city. It's about the God of the city. And the city reveals and makes known the God whose city this is. Um, it is not merely about a place, but about a God who has made this place his own. It's about him. These things are to be taken in and made known to another generation. This is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. The purpose of this is that you are to take in the, what is this open revelation and marvelous, glorious display of the way that God has covenanted himself with his people uh, to make himself known, dwell with his people, to be the fortress of protection as he is bound to his people in steadfast love that is to be taken in to receive and made known so that the people of God, a later generation that may not see what you have seen, is still able to be sustained by it as they remember what has been seen. This is why this psalm is not about the place. This is so crucial. Uh, it's fixated upon the place because this is the place where God has made himself known, but the charge is don't presume upon the place. Notice it so that you might be able to tell a generation whether or not the city is still here as it is now, and whether or not you are still here as you are now, uh, whether or not things are as they presently are now in terms of the circumstances, but tell the people of God that they might not forget, because what you see now is a true representation of what God is for his people. Don't forget it. That's something of the point. So what do we do with this? Well, two things I want you to notice. In this psalm, this is not the emphasis and focus of the psalm, but two things that we have to recognize. Number one, um, this is a city insofar as it is using the imagery of the city of Jerusalem. We need to remember that that is a city that at some point is destroyed. It's destroyed in terms of the exile. When the people of God go into exile, it is destroyed even after the coming of Christ Jesus. 
Um, uh, this is a city that in itself, it's, uh, does not itself last forever. Here's the point. It's not about the city. It's about the God of the city. Second thing, the people of God are not always there in that city. Um, in fact, in a more temporary way, uh, the people of God who are in that city, even if it's a particular historical period when God's people remain established in that place, um, they, they don't always, they, they at some point end up dying, right? Uh, there's a temporality uh, to both the life in which they enjoy that protection and also the city in which that protection is made known. Uh, so we need to recognize that part of what's going on in this psalm is it is revealing things in a temporary form uh, of revealing that which is itself eternal in the ways in which God is faithful to his people as he dwells with his own, is a fortress for his people, is bound in covenant love to his own, and in the ways in which he's made that known, take it in, tell it to another generation that it might not be forgotten. A couple of places I want to show you. Uh, Hebrews 11 is actually remarkable, and, and keep in mind that this, that this understanding is something that would have been some context, even for the people of God, uh, as they considered Psalm 48. Um, uh, he, obviously, the book of Hebrews had not been written at this point, but the theology it's dealing with um, already was, was already there. It was talking about Abraham. But it says this about Abraham, uh, that Abraham went out from his, uh, from his homeland, Hebrews 11. He went out not knowing where he was going. And then it says uh, in verse, uh, uh, sorry, verse 9, uh, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So here is Abraham going to a place that the Lord had promised to give to his descendants. And he went, why? Because he was looking towards for the city that God was going to found and to build. So, okay, what is that city? Well, verse 13, it says this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. So here is Abraham in the land is still a stranger and exile. An exile is someone who was away from their home, but he's not away from his home in the sense that he left. Uh, he left his original homeland and is now in some other foreign land, but he is away from home and that he is not yet in that city that he's looking forward to. He's waiting for a city, and he's willing to be an exile in the land that's promised. Why? Because his hope is not there, but in a city that is yet to come. Well, what city is that? Verse 15, if they had been thinking about that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But listen to this. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Abraham was not waiting for what someone else was going to receive. But his hope and trust in the promise of God that his descendants would receive this land, Abraham clung to as one who himself was waiting to receive something. And what was, what was his eye, what were his eyes set upon? What was his faith 
set upon. It was a city, and it is a heavenly city that he was waiting for. In other words, Abraham's gaze was not set upon the earthly Jerusalem. What was his gaze set upon? The heavenly city, uh, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, what does the author of Hebrews do with this? Later on in Hebrews 12, he says this in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the city and the place that Abraham was waiting for, and so also that to which the people of God have been gathered as we have been gathered to the heavenly places where Christ has gone into the real and true temple that does not pass away. What's at the heart of the city? The temple. Uh, uh, God's dwelling. Here's the temple. This is where Christ has gone. What is the city itself? Here is the whole heavenly city that is that has as its center point the, uh, the, the, the covenanted dwelling place of God in the temple, the holy of holies, where Christ has gone. This is the heavenly city to which we have been gathered as we by faith are waiting for this city uh, in which we will enter body and soul. Listen, listen to this later in Hebrews 13, uh, verse, 13 thir verse 13. Therefore, let us go out to him, that is to Christ, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. This is as comprehensive as it gets. There is no city in all of the earth. I don't care what city it is. There is no lasting city on this earth for the people of God. What is it? Uh, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We seek the same city that Abraham looked forward to. What is what? The heavenly city the very heavenly city to which we have been gathered, and we wait in anticipation merely for what John described at the end of Revelation, the descending of the heavenly dwelling place of, in which God dwells with his people and his people with him into eternity. Uh, this is that um, which uh, the Psalm 48 actually describes for us. Now notice, um, this city, the heavenly city, was made known to Abraham by way of promise, and it is that same heavenly city which was made known to the, uh, to the Israelites by way of a type. Uh, there was a promise of what was to be given to Abraham, and his eyes were set on the heavenly city. Uh, so also for the people of God who had a physical structure that they could see, using, using what are perishable materials— that do and in, that will and in fact do and have wasted away and crumbled what is a type, a kind of pledge and promise and almost sort of beaming down of what is the promise of God for what will be the heavenly city that cannot crumble, that cannot pass away. What was given to Abraham by promise and his faith looked to was given to the people of God in a type, a kind of example of what is going to come, um, and uh, what, what itself was patterned after the heavenly place, 
Um, and so they as well were to have their faith set upon the people so that the response that the people of God, God have in Psalm 48 is not to see, great, the city's been built, I guess we're fine. But the Lord says, no, consider the city, remember it, because these walls, this, these rocks, this stone, this earth that you can pick up is not itself your hope. But these things reveal to you your God and the way in which your God has covenanted himself to provide. Remember these things so that when the city is laid, is laid low, you may still rest in God who is your fortress and will establish upon this earth what is the heavenly city dwelling place in which God is with his people and the people of God are with their Lord. Um, what is it that we are to consider? We are to consider um, what is the heavenly dwelling place that God has made known, not merely by looking at a particular structure, not by going to a particular place in any of this and all of this world, uh, but to consider what is the place where Christ is, to consider what was the founding of this place where Christ is and his work, his death and his resurrection, to consider how um, the advancement of this kingdom and of this city goes out in the preaching of the gospel in the early church and the gifting of the Holy Spirit, all of these sorts of things. This is what the people of God are to spend our times considering. In fact, what, what we need, in fact, what's actually remarkable in Psalm 48, often we, we take something like that and we simply say, okay, this Psalm's addressed to me. I need to make sure I count all of the, the citadels and the ramparts and make sure I keep on, I hold on to this so I can tell another generation. There's something true about that. But actually, we are more like the generation that is told by those who had seen this. We're not simply those who look at it, notice what God has done, and tell others, though you should do that. But we are those who had not been in that place who did not see with our eyes, who could not touch with our hands what is the clearest demonstration of the holiness of God, the protection he gives to his people and his steadfast love. But we are those who have heard from others who have seen with their eyes, heard with their ears, touched with their hands, and seen demonstrated what is the salvation that God gives to his people. So what is the testimony that we receive in large measure, it is the New Testament scriptures themselves that tell us about Christ Jesus. This is the work of God that God has done to dwell with his people, that by which we ascend in Christ unto God himself, coming unto the holy mountain, considering in the heavenly places the, the true temple where Christ has gone, where we see and consider the steadfast love of our God in whom we have eternal protection as our life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, this is what our eyes are set upon. And what we have, and what we have here is what is the faithful recording and teaching of what God has done, what He has what He has established, what is kind of the architecture and furniture of our salvation that we take, that has been taken in, faithfully conveyed, that we ourselves might be sustained by the same. Uh, when you think of, when you consider your life and the various things that you personally go through, that the church goes through, that the church has high points and low points, there are times when the world seems to be on our side, when the world is against us, all of these sorts of things, we need to remember that our frame of mind and trust cannot be tossed around 
with, with the, by the waves of the world and the careless whim of whoever happens to be in power and whether or not they happen to accidentally like what we like and what we want to do. That is not our hope. Don't simply look around you. Remember this city. Remember what God has done. That we, the people of God, have as the abiding and unchanging frame of reference for how we view the world and our place in it, the very of Christ Jesus and what he has done. That is unchanging and immovable, and it has established and made known the heavenly city in which the people of God are to dwell with our Savior into eternity. That's what Psalm 48 holds out to us. Let me close in prayer. God, I do thank you for this psalm. I thank you for the great hope that we have and that marvelously you have gathered your people unto Mount Zion, to the heavenly city, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so, Lord God, we wait upon you uh, for when the things that we have heard that have been made known to us, we ourselves might see with our eyes. And so we wait upon you uh, 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 for, for you to establish this city, the heavenly city, even upon this world, in the new creation and resurrection. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.